0: Exodus 14, I'll warn you, got one of the great chapters in the Old Testament here today. Exodus 14, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamped at the sea by Pi-hahiroth in front of Beelzefah. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Okay, church and dear guests. This past Monday when I began my weekly sermon preparation, after reading it a bit, the question occurs to me, Lord, why did you do it this way? Lord, why, way back with Jacob, did you bring your people, 70 people, to Egypt to rescue them from the famine? And and, and then you allow them, in the aftermath of that, to, to first be forgotten and then oppressed and then enslaved for 400 years, twice as long almost as we have been a country. Lord, why did you do it that way? And then, Lord, with all of that pain and suffering and hurt, then you uh, choose a man who is is fearful, timid, and reluctant, Moses, and you bring him back, and then you do these ten incredible judgment miracles, the ten plagues of Israel, so that finally uh, they are granted their freedom by Pharaoh. And then... The next day or so they are at the edge of the Red Sea and you change the heart of Pharaoh and they storm after them to annihilate them. Lord, why did you do it that way? And and, and more to the point, Lord, why do we so often go through the heartaches and the heartbreaks that we go through? Lord, why? Is life so hard at times? Why do you allow those things? At times arrange those things. Uh, allow those things in our lives when life can be so hard. Why do you do it that way, Lord? Well, as we think today about a part of the answer, now part of it we won't deal with, and that is the part caused by human sin because there are some bad people out there who do some bad things and cause all kinds of pain. And at times, we do some sinful things that hurt ourselves and hurt others. And we live in a sinful, broken world in rebellion against God where there are germs, car wrecks, and hurricanes. So it's a broken world. That's part of it. But there's another part of it in that the sovereign God at times will arrange or allow circumstances to unfold in such a way that you and I can understand just how desperate we are for God. And so, so that we, we and I, you and I can understand that nothing, no situation is impossible for God. So that we can understand that God is the kind of God who likes to show himself strong on our behalf and rescue us. So that you and I can understand that the Lord is God. Be still and know that I am God. That he, in fact, is the miracle-working, prayer-hearing, people-rescuing God, and he wants us to trust him. That's part of it. And we're going to see that part of it today. Now, the passage begins, you know, in verse 4. They've been freed. They've been released. It is the greatest day in their history. This is the highest of the highs. And then, all of a sudden, God changes the heart of Pharaoh, and he comes after them. They go from the highest high to the lowest low in a a matter of hours. Verse 4, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Now, I know there's some mystery about that hardening stuff. We saw it early in the book of Exodus, how the, the Bible says on a number of occasions God hardens his heart, and on other occasions the Bible says Pharaoh hardens his own heart, and sometimes it simply says, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And there is some mystery in the sovereignty and the free will of man that we don't ever fully unravel. We just accept whatever the Bible says. If it says it, we believe it. So God does this for two reasons, it says in verse 4. Did you see them? So that the the people of Israel, the, the people of Egypt will know that He is God and will glorify God. Those two things. They will know he is God, and, and God will be glorified and exalted. Now, isn't that Psalm 4610, that great verse? Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted, glorified among the nations. I will be exalted. When we really know who God is, he will be exalted. He will be glorified. And so God is teaching them some things, all of them there. So this is what happens in the verses that I read. Pharaoh, his heart is changed, and he puts together his army. It is a fearsome army. With all they've been through, it's still fearsome. They've got chariots. That's like, you know, the latest military technology, like the United States having all these super smart weaponry or something. I mean, they've got chariots. Israel not only doesn't have an army, they certainly don't don't have chariots. They've got this huge mob of men, women, and children. And the mighty... The mightiest army on the planet at the time, the Egyptian army, change of heart, and they are thundering after them. And we pick up the narrative in verse 10, where we read, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, I mean, highest high to lowest low. They feared greatly. They were terrified. Is this it? After all of that, is this it? Now, we can identify, can't we? There are times of our lives where we fear greatly. We're headed to the doctor and we don't know if it's, if it's benign or if this is a cancerous tumor. Or, or uh, there's been a car wreck and you, you don't know the outcome. Or... Uh, You've got a teenager making some very difficult choices. Or you you, you lose your job and no good prospects in sight. There are times in which we are terrified. And what do we do? What do we do? We're going to see what to do. They, they, They feared greatly. It also says that they cried out to the Lord, and good for them. You know, it seems like it's not going to last long, but, but at least initially, they're praying to God. But, but pretty soon, that, that crying out to God turns to panic, accusing, and blaming, especially Moses. And so, in the following verses, in verse 11, you know, pretty soon, they start after Moses. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Can you believe they're talking this way? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And if you're at all awake this morning, you're thinking, are you kidding me? You mean, after all that they have seen God do, these incredible, miraculous things? You know, they're that panicked? They're that panicked? And, and, and if you're like me, maybe you're more spiritual than I am. But if you're like me, you tend to think, "Well, I'd never do that. If I'd have been back there with them, I wouldn't have been talking that way." How quickly they forget God, what God's done. But then I think how quickly I forget what God has done in my life. You know, God has consistently rescued me, delivered me, uh, shown Himself strong on my behalf. And then at times I. Fall into fear. And how quickly we forget all that God has done for us, just like the Israelites so quickly forgot. Somebody put it this way The Israelites wanted to go back to the safe place, Egypt, the land of not enough. Moses was leading them to the desperate place, the land of just enough. But God's plan was to take them to the promised land, the land of more than enough. And you and I, at times, We don't want to leave the safe place. We're like the Egyptians, you know, give us what we know, the safe place. But if they choose the safe place, they're going to miss out all that God has for them. And the best memories and the best moments of our lives will be when we take risk and trust God. When we step out, whatever he's calling us to do, take that new job, start that ministry, join that ministry, Reach out to our top five. Pursue those dreams. Make sure they're God from God, but the best moments and the best memories are not in the safe place, but when we step out and trust God for the faith place. And that's what God was calling them to do. So they're panicked. They are uh, bitter and accusing. And Moses steps up to challenge them, and it is his finest hour ever, ever. Ever in recorded scripture, this is his finest hour. This is what he says to them in 13. I mean, he's a transformed man by watching all that God has done. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Now, those three crisp charges, okay, y'all are scared to death, panic, accusing, bitter, and how would it feel on his part? to be rejected by all those people. Look, fear not. Stand firm. Stand firm in Christ, it would be for us, and see what God's going to do. See how God's going to deliver us. Just watch what he will do. Can you imagine that scene as he's uh, calling out to them? And then there's that beautiful promise in 14, one of the great promises in the Old Testament. When he promises them, he says, the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. He will fight for you. Isn't that again, Psalm forty six ten. Be still, be silent, and know that I am God. Just, just be quiet, be still, calm down, and watch God work on your behalf. He will show himself strong because he's God. Now, Moses, apparently, when he makes that charge, he immediately goes back to praying to God. But God stops him, and that's kind of unusual. Uh, But he he stops him and says, Moses, there's a time to pray and there's a time to move. This is a time to move. So verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Now, why is he having Moses stretch out his staff? God doesn't need Moses to stretch out his staff. Moses doesn't do diddly. God's going to split the sea, not Moses and his staff. But isn't it something how God so often wants to use us when he's at work? I mean, we've got some top fives, all of us, uh, people that we are praying and asking God to bring salvation to. And God doesn't need us. He could do it without us, but God so often chooses to use you and me. So we need to be available. We are his hands and feet. And he says, Moses, you, you stretch out your staff. I'm going to use you. And so, he does it. We see in verse 19, or in 18 again, how the same three things, I will harden his heart, they will know that I am the Lord, I will get glory for myself. Those same three things come back. 19, then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. Coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Now, can you imagine that scene? The mighty Egyptian army coming down after the Israelites, who are trapped between the Egyptians and the Red Sea, all out there. I mean, they're trapped. Remember, if you were here last week, that God is going with them visibly, tangibly, with this huge pillar of fire. It's fire at night. It's smoke during the day. This huge pillar. And he's, he's leading the way. So he's, he's right there by the Red Sea. And when it says the angel of the Lord, we're talking about God himself, the pre-incarnate Christ. So this is Jesus taking the form of this mighty fire and cloud. It's at night now, so it would be Fire. So here's the pillar of fire. There's the Red Sea. There are the Egyptians coming. What what was it like? Did, Did the pillar of fire, you know, just visibly come up ahead of them and go behind them? Or did it sort of disappear and then appear right there? Must have been incredible. But God was showing his people, I am here to protect you. And he puts himself between that fierce army coming to annihilate them. He protects them. He protects them. Jesus is always there protecting you and me. Always. All of your life, Jesus has been right there. Even in the tough times, He has been right there protecting you. I thought for myself this week, okay, what, what Jeff, is probably the most uh, uh, fearful time in your life or a time where God, so obvious, Jesus was protecting you? And I thought about when I was newly married, Gail and I had been living in Oregon. We were on our way after visiting California your parents. We were driving from, from California to Dallas for me to go to my last year of seminary. And we had reached Amarillo late one night, about midnight. And the last 30-40 minutes as we were driving into Amarillo there was the, the fiercest thunderstorm that I think I've ever seen. Some of you probably lived in West Texas or the Panhandle and you've seen those kind of thunderstorms. It was so uh, fierce that uh, we were riding along in the car and, and when the lightning would flash it kind of hurt your eyes. Like you need some sunglasses. You kind of to blink. It was fierce. So we... Uh, Drive on into Amarillo, get there about midnight, stay at some Motel 6, which we had to stay at back then. Thank God we don't do it now. But uh, we pulled in at the Motel 6, and it was midnight. And during those days, I was not only a seminary student, but I was also a professional runner. So it was not a question, you know, am I going to run or not? It's just a question when. And so it was midnight. I needed an eight-mile run. And so uh, pouring down rain, fierce thunderstorm, midnight in the Motel 6, I head out to Gail's dismay of her new husband uh, in that thunderstorm. Now, uh, a quick uh, disclaimer any young runners are out there, I no longer do that stuff. (laughs) I I have learned that you can go out in the cold, you can go out in the heat, you can go out in the wind, you can go out just about anything, but when it's lightning, don't go out. So I never do that anymore. But then I did. And uh, it was still fierce lightning. And I went down that asphalt road through the streets of Amarillo, and I quickly realized it wasn't that the lightning was up there real high. It was like it was, you know, right there all around me. You know, boom on this side, boom on that side, boom. On that. And after a little bit, I thought to myself, oh no. You know, that wasn't smart. Um, but I kept running, and I um, and I ran about four miles of this eight-mile run like that, and it finally dissipated and went away, and I was relieved. And, and, and the protection of Jesus. <laughs> I mean, uh, didn't deserve it, but, but he protected me and spared me when there was kind of lightning bouncing all around me. And, and how many times in each one of our lives has, has God spared us and protected us, maybe in ways we don't even know, maybe out in the car sometime, maybe in some kind of medical problem, and Just sometimes we don't even, or we're not even aware of it, but he protected us. That's Jesus protecting us because that's the kind of God He is fighting for His people, protecting His people. Okay. Uh, they're coming. The pillar of cloud has moved, uh, pillar of fire is moved right behind them. That would give light during the, the darkness for the Israelites and keep the Egyptians at bay. Then Moses, verse 21, stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Can you imagine? Can you picture that? I mean, can you imagine being in their shoes? They hadn't seen the Seats of the movie and uh, just what that had been like. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord, in the pillar of fire and of cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, a little late there, guys. (laughs) A little late. Should have recognized that about the first plague, certainly after the tenth plague. And now you are following your leader against God, right into that sea. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course. When the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled into it, "'The Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. "'The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. "'Of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, "'not one of them remained. "'But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, "'the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. "'Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. "'And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore.' Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. They trusted him. They trusted him. No longer were they afraid of the Egyptian army. That army was gone. They feared the Lord. And a basic truth of the universe if we fear the Lord, truly fear the Lord, reverential respect, we don't have to fear anything else. If we do not fear the Lord, we will fear everything else. They feared the Lord. They trusted the Lord. They, they trusted His word. Finally, they trusted the Him. and that's what God was bringing them to. The central event in all the Old Testament, to show the power and the glory and the grace of God is the exodus when God rescues his people out of slavery. The central picture in the New Testament of the glory and the power and the grace of God is the cross and resurrection of Jesus when God rescues us, his people, out of slavery, eternal slavery, to sin, death, hell, and Satan. And the Old Testament picture is a foreview, a pointer to the great rescue in the New Testament in Jesus. And we think, Okay, God, why did you do all of this? Why did you do it this way? Well, it's clear to us. God was showing those Israelites, again, how desperate they were for God. But he was showing them that, they, that they must know that he is God. The miracle working, prayer hearing, people rescuing God, he can do all things, and we've got to trust him. We've got to fear and trust the Lord. They were, God was showing the Israelites that nothing is too big for the Lord. Nothing's too hard for the Lord. That the Lord loves to show Himself strong on our behalf. But God was not only showing them. The whole Old Testament was written for us, believers down through the ages, every age, including this age. And God was showing us the same things. Learn through the Israelites what happened to them. How desperate you are. Now let me just pause. Um... What is your biggest challenge right now? Just think about it. All of us are thinking. I got, I got one. Uh, there's two. Three or four here at church. I got a half dozen. I mean God-sized things. You got them? God wants you to know this morning, not only are you desperate for him, you probably got that, but he also wants you to know that nothing is too hard for the Lord. Let me ask you, what is the key issue? The size of your problem or the size of your God? If the key issue for you is the size of your God, your God is way too small. But the infinite, sovereign, holy God is bigger than your problem. And God wants you to know this morning that He is the sort of God who loves to show Himself strong on behalf of His people. He loves to show his people that nothing's too hard for him. He loves to show his people that he is God. Be still and know that I am God. For miracle working, prayer hearing, people rescuing God. That's what God is doing in your life and my life this morning. Just like he was doing that in the Israelites' lives. This past week I was thinking about um, this situation um, Uh, A friend, a fellow pastor, reminded me of that great story of desperateness needing a miracle that Jim Simbola tells in his uh, uh, critically important book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. If there is a church in America that has influenced other churches like us about the importance of prayer, a house of prayer, it would be Brooklyn Tabernacle in inner city New York and their pastor Jim Cimbala. And it didn't always start off as this great, powerful, praying, miracle-seeing church. But when he took it over, it was a small, dying, highly frustrated church with cocaine problems, heroin problems all around them, and somebody on the inside of the church stealing what little money they had. And he said in the early days of that church, it got so bad, I got so frustrated, I got so broken by it, so discouraged, that I was preaching to our people one Sunday night, And I just started crying, and I could not go on with my teaching. I just was overwhelmed with the pain of it all. And he said in that moment, God met him in a special way. Later, he wrote about it in Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, by the way, in our library and in our bookstore. He later described that evening. He said, that evening when I was at my lowest, confounded by obstacles, bewildered by the darkness that surrounded us, Unable even to continue preaching, I discovered an astonishing truth. God is attracted to weakness. He can't resist those who humbly and honestly admit how desperately they need him. Our weakness, in fact, makes room for his power. Are you there? Have you recognized how desperately you need God who, who, that you honestly and humbly admit that you're desperate for your God? Um. Many of you are there right now. All of us, over 20 years of age, have been there and probably will be there. And don't wonder where God is doing. I tell you where God is. He's right there with you, and He wants you to know how desperate you are for him. He wants you to know that He loves to, to show himself strong on your behalf, that He loves for you to know nothing is too hard for the Lord. And he wants us to know that he is God, the miracle working, prayer hearing, people rescuing God, and he wants you and I to trust him no matter what it is. Now let me ask you again. What do you have in your life that's an impossible situation unless God intervenes? I got a half a dozen. I got a couple of things in my personal life, family life. I got three or four or five things here at the church that unless God does it, our whole vision every point of our vision, certainly ongoing revival. Houston really becoming a, a, a transformed city of God where people are saying, what is going on in Houston for the glory of God? I mean, all of that doesn't have a chance unless God does it. But is that too big for God? Is, that, is your problem this morning too hard for the Lord? Not at all. Not at all. It is not. So, will you trust your God? That's what he wants to know. Will you trust him for the biggest challenge you've got now? Will you know that he is bigger than that problem? And will you trust him? Stand with me, please. Dear friend, if you are here and you've never trusted Christ to be your Savior, that's your first step. Just breathe a prayer and say, Jesus, would you save me? He will hear that prayer. In fact, he's already heard that prayer. He knew that was in your heart, and he gave you life, forgiveness forever. He'll never leave you. For the rest of us, we're not all in the throes of it right now, but we have been and we probably will be, and many of us are. Friend, your God is bigger than your problem. And He wants you to know that you can trust Him. Trust Him now. Maybe you need to confess unbelief. Your failure to trust Him. As I have at times. Lord, You know every heart. Would You please do miraculous, impossible things for Your glory. For Your glory. So that all the earth may know that you are God and you are good. This is our prayer in Christ's name.